Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Forgive those who don't do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. The shuttle driver was really nice. Uh, there was one, only one other passenger, and after he got off the shuttle, the driver turned to me and, and he said, Ma'am, you look very, very tired. Is everything okay? And I stared back at this complete stranger and I said the same thing that any of you would have said. Oh yes, everything's fine. It's just been a long day. And I went right back to staring blankly out the window. But in my head, I was thinking, gosh, it's only 6 p.m. Do I really look that bad? It's, it had been more than a long day. It had been a long two weeks. There was a funeral and a mission trip and an organizing conference and hospital visits and school routines and sermons and lunch appointments. And when was the last time that I actually got more than a few hours of sleep. And then I started thinking, can I stay awake long enough to drive home? And then I need to fix Peter's costume. Do I have the children's message for this Sunday? The church's session record reviews are on Saturday morning. The driver, of course, heard none of this and just saw what he thought was an apparently exhausted woman staring blankly out of the shuttle window. And we sat there for another minute or two, and finally he said, I, I'm so glad that everything is okay. Would you like to get off the bus now? <laughs> and and so, so I was shocked into this reality that, that I had not even realized that we were at our destination. So I grabbed my stuff quickly and I headed for my car, and as soon as I got in, I double-checked the messages on my phone to confirm that I had, in fact, turned in my article for this week's Bradenton Herald. Had I done that? I knew I was supposed to do that. I knew I had thought it through, but did I actually send it in? And on the drive home, I started reflecting on this article, which was about our church's recent mission trip to the Panhandle with Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. There are so many people in need up there. No places to live, schools in total disarray, homes covered in mold. And then I crossed the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, the bridge that when I was in college we called the Suicide Bridge, and my thoughts shifted to the meeting that I was returning home from. It was the organizational meeting for the Presbyterian Mental Health Network. Did you know that on any given Sunday, one in five people in our congregation struggles to maintain their mental health? So what that means is that across all three services that I'm going to see this morning, there could be anywhere from 30 to 50 people who are actively battling depression or bipolar, or schizophrenia, or addiction, or PTSD, or a whole host of other mental illness challenges. And that number, that number doesn't include those who have challenges that are, that are called neurodiverse. Autism, ADHD, dementia, Alzheimer's. All of these individuals, all of them deserve the love and care of churches, of pastors, of congregations, but historically, congregations and pastors have failed 
have failed these individuals epically because they are simply unaware and unprepared. Well, by now I'm over the bridge and I've hit 301 and my thoughts start shifting to my family because class picture day came up out of nowhere and now it's tomorrow and trunk or treat is Friday night and Peter has a big project coming up and Anna always has tests and didn't Sung have a doctor's appointment this week? Did he actually go to it? Does Maria know all of her spelling words? And then I passed the church. A member had surgery this week. Is she home yet? What kind of resources do we need to get in place for her recovery? Why haven't I heard back from the church architect? Do I have a session meeting this week or next week? Once more, who is responsible for the children's message on Sunday? And did I send out those thank you notes? Well, when I reached my house, I put up the garage door, hauled my bags inside, and right as I'm about to just slump down in the nearest chair, two of three kids come running towards me. They are so excited to see me, but mostly they're just wondering if I brought them anything back from my trip. (laughs) And at some point, at some point, I must have fallen asleep that night. There's no glory in this story, and I want you to hear that very clearly. Your pastor is not a superhero. I'm not even a superhuman. No, on on Thursday night, your pastor was an exhausted middle-aged woman who apparently looked like she had been hit by a Mack truck and was unaware that she was sitting in a shuttle parking lot holding up a driver who just simply wanted to go home to his own family. But the needs, the needs are very real. The people in the panhandle, the ones in the Bahamas, the wildfires that still burn out west, mental illness, my family, the church family, all of these needs are very, very real. And there's so many more. Abject poverty, homelessness, hunger, war, ethnic cleansing, drug abuse, human trafficking, unplanned pregnancies, the list could go on forever. So do the needs. And Jesus was so clear about this. We are to love our neighbor, love all of these others, right? So let's, let's look at that passage. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So there it is. I mean, you see it. You shall love your neighbor. Not you you should love your neighbor. It would be really nice if you love your neighbor. We highly suggest that you love your neighbor. No, this is a you shall. You shall love your neighbor. So it's not an option for followers of Jesus to not love other people and to care about them and to give of ourselves on their behalf. Loving my family who is in grief, loving the people in the panhandle, loving those with mental illness, loving my kids, loving you, my church family, just loving everybody. I so totally nailed this passage. Except I didn't read the whole passage. Because what it says is that you shall love your neighbor as 
yourself. And you might be really great at loving your neighbor, but how great are you at loving yourself? And, and what does that even mean? What does it mean to, to love yourself? While we were up in Panama City, one of the team members remarked to me that when he goes on mission trips, he will do things for other people and for other people's homes that he wouldn't do for himself and his home. And, and I thought about that. I thought about that as, as we spent an entire afternoon cleaning out the last house that, that we worked at. And it dawned on me that the last time I had seen my own house, it looked like an atomic bomb had detonated in the middle of our living room. Loving yourself does not mean doing more for yourself than you would for others. It means doing at least for yourself what you so willingly do for everybody else. There is a balance to self-care, and, and while there are people who happily skew that balance towards themselves and to their benefit, there are many more who skew the balance in favor of others. Before I had kids of my own, I went to visit a friend, who, and she had a little, little baby boy, and when I got to her house, she was in the kitchen, she was pureeing some organic vegetable medley that she had so lovingly prepared. This little baby, he was not going to have preservatives or sugar or, or any, none of that store-bought stuff. She was, she was going to do this clean and healthy. Well, while I was there, her husband called and, and he asked, what was the plan for, for dinner? She thought for a minute and she suggested that he stop at Taco Bell on the way home and pick something up. My friends, the road is long between clean and healthy and Taco Bell. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is a temple. There's no reference to your neighbor here. Your body, it's your body, it's a gift, and it's worth taking care of. Or how about the woman in the waiting room who starts telling me about this job that she's working on as an interior designer? And at some point, I say to her, being an interior designer, I bet your home is beautiful. And she looks confused, and, and she said, like, I have time for my own home. Or what about the countless numbers of times when Pastor Sung and I have had to do the funeral service for someone who was caring for someone else at their own expense and ended up beating that person to an early grave? Why is it that when our kids are sick, we want them to lay down and rest and watch movies and get fluids, but when we are sick, we feel guilty for even sitting down when there is laundry that needs to be folded? Or why is it that we will go to a foreign country and we will lovingly play soccer for hours with children in poverty, but we refuse to be bothered to do it with our own children? And that's true of any mission scenario, by the way. Margie and I caulked almost everything there is to caulk in one of the homes that we went to, but heaven help me if I'm ever going to do that in my own home. And, and when we do these things, when we do these things, we think, we think that it's so righteous and just. 
But there are times when it just really reveals how little we care for ourselves. And that's not exactly a faithful thing. And sometimes it's not even a safe thing. Let me ask you this. Would you want to be the patient of a surgeon who has been operating nonstop for the last 18 hours but cares about you so much that he's going to stick around for another six because he wants to get your surgery done? Or the pilot who has already logged his flying hours but he doesn't want to leave you stranded and so he offers to continue to fly somewhere? There's a point where being off balance is also incredibly unfaithful. So where does that balance come in? If you preach a gospel of eight hours sleep for everyone around you, but you're only getting five yourself, that is not balanced. If you are very busy teaching Bible study, children's or youth ministry, adult education, but you feel like it's a waste of your time, to spend even an hour in personal devotion and prayer, that is unbalanced. If you lovingly prepare gourmet meals for everyone else while you are eating microwave dinners, off balance. And I want to be so clear about this. This is not a discussion about manicures or massages or weekend trips or poker nights or, or me time. This is about recognizing that you are just as valuable and precious to God as you believe everyone else around you is. And that's, that's why it's more than just what we do for ourselves. It's also about what we believe about ourselves. Some, some of us are incredibly good at showing grace to others, but we cannot embrace that grace for ourselves. And that's because we can forgive others, but we refuse to forgive ourselves. And that reveals something about our faith and what we believe. If we believe that we are unforgivable, it means that we, we have put ourselves outside of the reach of God's love. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It means that we don't really believe that he does. God might have loved the whole rest of the world, but we have never been convinced that that includes us personally. And, and so what we see as self-sacrifice, as selflessness, as extreme generosity of the Spirit can actually reveal a spiritual illness that needs to be addressed. Because as we run to help person after person after person to the detriment of our own self-care, then we are running ourselves so ragged that we don't have time or space in our lives to receive God's unconditional love and unending grace. And my friends, it's, it's, so, it's so deceptive because we're convincing ourselves that we are doing this all for the Lord that this is what scripture says, that we got to get out there and, and just help people and keep going and keep going and keep going. But how, how would we ever know that? How would we ever know that if we are so busy that we have not personally sat down with the Lord? And we see the side effects of this very quickly in our physical and mental health, but the spiritual side effects are just as serious. Sung and I got the call earlier this month that yet another one of our friends was leaving parish ministry. 
I don't have that many friends left that meet with congregations on a weekly basis anymore. They just won't do it. And I got to confess to you that some of the worst people with that self-care are pastors. That should not come as a surprise to you. You have seen Sung, you have seen me, you know this about us already. But I know that I'm not preaching a sermon just for myself this morning. Because none of us, none of us can simply do it all by ourselves. And this is the greatest benefit of being in the church. I often get asked, what's the benefit of being a member of the church? The benefit is this. In a congregation, across the life of a congregation, we have people that care deeply about Operation Christmas Child and others about Anchor House and others about visiting people in the hospital and others who care about children and others who care about issues of poverty and on and on and on. But here's the truth. We can't, we can't individually respond to all of those things faithfully. But when we are connected to a church that does, then we all get to be a part of that. And that gives us the permission to find our thing, our part of the body of Christ, and to do that thing well while the rest of the body of Christ does their thing well, and we start meeting all of those needs, and we get to be a part of it because we're part of the body. When we do it ourselves, we get compassion fatigue. And so when we know that, we can start to write our individual balances and take the very necessary time to nourish our own souls, even as we nourish the souls of others. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you might have the neighbor part down really well. What about yourself? What about yourself? Do you matter? See, Jesus thought, Jesus thought that you were worth dying for. Are you taking care of yourself in a way that lets you live a life worth living for? Let's pray together. Lord God, we, uh, we confess that there are people in this room, maybe even sitting right next to us, maybe, maybe it's us, that have fed into this belief that everyone else, everyone else is loved and in need, and somehow we're excluded from that. Remind us that you created us in your image. We are a part of your kingdom and that you love us. You love us. Maybe we should start treating ourselves the way that we treat our neighbors. In your name we pray. Amen.